Hello and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair, talking all things EFL, me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. I reckon at least 100 people have just checked the settings on their podcast app to see if they put it on times two speed, because that was rapid fire from you. It's a signal of intent, George, because we're in high spirits today and we've got a lot to talk about. We're in high spirits for a number of reasons, primarily over the weekend, uh, we were together on Saturday near Stevenage, which is where Oxford were beating Stevenage 3-1 to continue their excellent start to the season. But we weren't at the Lamex. Uh, Instead, we were celebrating one of our best mates getting married. And this podcast isn't about friendship or marriage. I would say that's all it's about. Not marriage. (laughs) Friendship. It's a massive part of the last few days for us. And I'm still on a massive high. And I'm just buzzing. So congratulations to our friend George. Me and you had quite a fun time about 7pm where we took ourselves outside briefly and me having completely avoided all EFL scores at that point, you then took me through every single score, all goal scorers. Not just me. Uh, my wife helped you reading out the Wrexham crew. That was incredible. Debacle. I had the, the FOP mob page up for Wrexham crew and we went through it chronologically with your wife Emily reading out every line, which included bookings. Yeah, 73rd minute, Zach Williams. <laughs> yellow card <laughs> and then she pointed at the football side and say what does that mean <laughs> goal yeah it turned what was a roller coaster game into even more of a roller coaster uh, congratulations to george congratulations to team europe as well no doubt that is a significant tr- contributor to what is possibly our best mood collectively of the season so far congratulations to ace impact winner of the arc there's one more thing we are possibly loving covering these divisions specifically compared to other divisions that we don't talk about more maybe than ever before yeah partly because especially in the championship in league two the leagues have lost their mind like we are seeing a stupid amount of goals across the efl every saturday we're seeing i saw earlier ali you were on the twitter page scorigami uh, for which those who don't know what that is agami is a page agami where every new efl scorigami nfl sorry scorigami uh, a unique score is uh, listed up as being scorigami and i think you were trying to work out if we could do efl scorigami just this season because we've had so many ridiculous score lines we'll get on to it we had a 5-4 this time around we'll talk about later a 3 all draw that we've already mentioned a 4-1 win in the championship It was just mad again. Um, And when you look at Twitter or, you know, the artist formerly known as Twitter and you see the nonstop boring chat about VAR that just the cycle goes on and on. And, you know, you have Liverpool fans who understandably feel incredibly upset and angry about decisions made in a room in the Stockley Park and that it dominates the narrative around the sport and the top division that we love. I just am so happy that we get to talk about leagues with no VAR, with loads of goals, with storylines every weekend that I think just hark back to an age where football at the top level was just about football rather than uh, suits or referees. So I am delighted that despite the fact that you and I both do talk about top top flight football elsewhere that the EFL is um, the place to be and for any Premier League fans out there who are sick and tired of VAR and sick and tired of what the Premier League has become just come have a look just dip your toe in the EFL waters because it's a nice place to be well they're already here so 
You're preaching to the converted They're all there. already here. Well, no, but the ones who aren't here aren't listening to your diatribe there. We're going to tweet it. Oh, we're Sorry. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to put it on the artist formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> you say that football at the top level is now too concerned with suits. Do you think the turning point was the 1997 FA Cup when Liverpool wore those cream Armani suits? I actually think the turning point was the release of American TV sitcom Suits. Uh, and then everyone was obsessed with suits for a while. That was incredible in its era. I wonder if it's aged well. Possibly not. Definitely not. Let's not bother even... The Duchess as a paralegal. Guys, in the championship, as El Arbitro Hugh Davis wrote in this morning's weekend notes, even in a season that has already featured a 4-all, two 4-3s and a 6-2, this weekend that we're about to talk about had the most goals of any championship game week so far. 41 in 12 games, nearly three and a half per game. The Juego de Transición marches on, George, and potentially no more so predictably than at Blackburn, where Leicester on Sunday went and won 4-1 to continue their remarkable points return to start this season. Football is, is famously one of the least predictable sports. It's one of the many reasons why it is the perfect sport, the sport that we love. Um, it's, it's definitely less predictable than people probably think or realise. But this game did probably go exactly as anyone who'd watched Blackburn and Leicester this season predicted it. 4-1 to Leicester. Not to kind of keep banging the same drum, but just the fact that you can call a 4-1 away win, the, like the most predictable score <laughs> in the way that everyone thought it was going to go, is in itself evidence of why this league is so great. Um, yeah, I mean, this is three defeats on the bounce now for Blackburn, four defeats in five, in having kept a clean sheet in any of those games. And in there. Um, in those four defeats, they've conceded three against Plymouth Argyle, three against uh, Sunderland, four against Ipswich, and then four against Leicester City. So defensively, things are not looking particularly good for Yondal Thomason. You know, he's a coach that you and I, I think, both have a lot of uh, respect for. I think he's one of those coaches where you can very clearly see his impact on playing style and the way that teams, especially as teams, look to attack. But at the moment, it's coming at a massive cost uh, in terms of what they can they can do defensively. And that is a, a huge issue that they need to sort out or they're not going to pick up very many points. Having said that, this was definitely uh, Leicester being fairly clinical in the game. You know, well, face um, Fass uh, scored a back post header early on, um, which was cancelled out by Sammy Smodix through um, just overplaying out from, uh, out from the back. From Top of the non-penalty goal scorer chart, Sammy Smodix, which everyone knows is the real quiz. Correct. Um, didn't any, did take and miss a pen. Any as well. subscribers? Bit of a you know because the price has gone now. Anyone who for the uh, the long shot uh, newsletter, Ali put up uh, Sammy Smodix at one hundred and fifty to one top scorer. He's now I think forty to one. Um, but in um, yeah, Matt Hermanson, the Leicester keeper. I mean, this is always one of those things where if you watch highlights only and you see Mads Hermanson basically passing the ball to um, Travis who uh, squares it for Smodix to, to tuck home you're like oh he's he's terrible while they're doing that for they're overplaying out the back I mean the, the fact is that Hermanson's been very very good with the ball his feet for the majority of the season when you take risks in the way that uh, Enzo Maresca clearly wants him to take there are going to be occasions where this happens it isn't a reason necessarily at this stage especially when you consider Leicester's points tally at the, at, you know after um, at the end of September it's not evidence as to why they should change it but the goal of the day game for me came um, from Jamie Vardy just a goal of the highest quality really Wilfred Ndidi down the right hand side who has really stepped up in this new kind of attacking midfield role um, and he put in a brilliant ball to Vardy Vardy's first touch and finish with his left foot are just you know it's it's evidence of a guy who has won 
Premier League, won the FA Cup, been a protagonist in both, played in the Champions League, played for England, scored for England in the major tournaments. Like that was a goal of the highest quality from Vardy and, a, and kind of evidence, I guess, that he's still got the pace to get him behind and the, the quality on the ball to um, to score those kind of goals. Uh, Inacho and Dewsbury Hall made it safe late on uh, after um, Blackburn had a few chances in between, the, the best probably falling to, to Lewis Travis. But uh, for Leicester, this was, you know, as I said, they are starting to turn the screw, it feels like now. Um, you know, early on in, in the season, they were winning games, but not doing so particularly convincingly. It feels like now we're starting to see them exert the fact that they are they have better players um, on teams more often and show their dominance. And that, when you consider they're already top of the league, um, that they haven't lost the game yet, is kind of concerning, I think, for the rest of the division. Um, and, you know, with a couple of home games to come this week, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if they get another six points. For the second week in a row, or maybe the third week in a row, Yondell Thomason's getting big plaudits from an opposition manager. And I think it's always interesting to, to note these things. I, I think it's highly notable when other managers are so specific in their praise for their opposite man in the, in the dugout. Uh, Kieran McKenna was very, very glowing about Thomason's Blackburn. Maresca too. We know it's easier to do that when you've just scored four goals and won the game. But I do think that's worth noting. Um, there have been some interesting discussions from, from Blackburn Rovers fans on Twitter in particular about Thomason's style, whether it's appropriate to play that style with a young team and in particular a team that doesn't seem to have much solidity in terms of individuals and is certainly not showing much solidity on the pitch or whether it's absolutely the right way to go in Blackburn's situation. Um, as I think everyone knows, I am all for it. I'm, I'm loving it. And I think although there'll be some bloodied noses along the way, I think the team will be better for it in the, in the mid to long term. I also think, and, and I know this doesn't really matter to fans... Um, or at least it won't kind of when I say it, but it certainly matters a lot to, to the owners. I think the way that Yondal Thomason sets his team up to play will mean that this incredibly young side has a much higher sell-on value than if they were not playing in that way. Like if you are a, you know, we've seen Wharton being linked to Manchester United in the last few days. And I'm pretty sure that the reason why we don't see Many young EFL talents, like taking Alex Scott as quite a good example, is because if you're a Manchester United, you're in Manchester City or whatever, realistically, you're not really seeing a team playing in the in the kind of setup or the way that you probably are going to look to them to play. Whereas Blackburns, the way that they approach games is like very much that like really attacking, really aggressive, possession-based, um, taking risks style that I think would suit and basically appeal. Like they can already see that Wharton can thrive in, in that kind of environment, even if the defensive side of what thing needs work. So given Do you think at risk of massively firing off more strays, stray bullets here, is there an interesting <laughs> comparison, you know, to expand your point with, for example, Huddersfield Town right now. Now I don't know what their budgets would be in comparison to Blackburn. I would imagine they're in a similar ish bucket so to speak. They also have a lot of young players that they want to develop, but they haven't successfully developed a style of play that really to what you're suggesting would empower those players or rather give them the platform to, to shine in the same way that Blackburn are doing for sure so if, like, if you take Jack Rodoni as, as an example he's probably the player that in my view right now I mean there are other youngsters who are kind of being blooded at the moment at Huddersfield but you couldn't have I wouldn't have any strong belief or faith that he would be able to slip into that kind of that kind of side and perform because we just haven't really seen it yet I think Bellingham is like the, the interesting example where you had a player there who was 16 17 playing every week in the championship but for like a really grim side and even though at the time that Birmingham side was, was not 
one that looks anything like any team that Bellingham has played for since in terms of the style. And even though Bellingham had an amazing goal record and you know there was clearly a player there, his reputation was massive. But I'm not embarrassed to say that when I used to watch Bellingham playing for Birmingham, I couldn't see the player that we're seeing today. And I think that's in part because of the role that he was being asked to play in a side that basically never really had the ball. Um, so Blackburn, given the way that they have given the way their squad is built with a massive focus on basically developing younger players right now. Um, I'm sure that Yondell Thompson is being, is going to be judged on their development as well as on-pitch achievements. And it's something we spoke about earlier in the campaign as well, where there, there does seem to be a divide at Blackburn between what the fans think is acceptable and the budget that goes into the playing side, uh, playing side of the squad. So there's always going to be a disconnect there if you've got fans who think they should be pushing for the playoffs, but you've got a budget that's probably in the lower half of the table. Um, but, you know, hopefully, even if they're not winning games, Rovers fans are at least being entertained at the moment because when they do go forward, the way they play is, is, is really, really good to watch and it creates exciting games. Southampton, big win. 3-1 win against Leeds, Saturday lunchtime. What did we see? We saw things like a fast start from mm. Saints, scoring early rather than conceding early. We saw Saints keeping the pressure on, going for the jugular and doing so convincingly rather than melting like a chocolate bar in the hot sun as they did, for example, once they'd gone ahead against Middlesbrough. This losing streak has been snapped in half. Uh, it was three goals before halftime with their first five shots of the game. They were 3 nil up. Uh, and although Pascal Stroik um, scored pretty sharp take, actually, for Leeds in the second half, the damage was done. A couple of interesting bits and bobs here for me. Russell Martin uh, speaking last weekend after not bringing Alcaraz off the bench at all uh, in their last defeat. That was picked up on uh, by the media, by the fans. Why would Charlie Alcaraz not be worth a, a cameo in a game that we're losing? And Russell said he's finding it tough. He's still adapting. He's from a very different culture and a different country and a different style of football. He's lost two key Spanish speakers. I think one of them was Willy Caballero. I can't remember off the top of my head who the other one was. And, and at the moment, we just don't feel like he's in the right place to be impacting the team as, as much as we hope and, and think that he will. Uh, so Alcaraz, not being used in midfield, started this game as a kind of false nine with uh, Armstrong actually playing in a right-sided forward role and scoring two well-taken first-half goals. I know you're upset that one of them wasn't given as an own goal, but it wasn't. Um, it definitely should have been. Two goals <laughs> that send him to the top of the, the goal-scoring charts, joint top scorer in the league with Jack Clark. Um, and uh, and was it Suleimana as well getting involved with two assists off the left side? So really sitting here, really relieved sitting here, being able to talk about a good Southampton attacking display and basically just laying down the gauntlet. Can we see more of that this week? You've got two more games this week. Stoke away, Rotherham at home. Can you take that into those games? I really, really hope so because in, in recent weeks, there were two approaches that were working well for opposition teams. You could seize on looseness at the back to create chances and score goals, as many of their opposition were doing. You could also sit in a strong shape, sit in a deep block and, and demand that Saints play through you, deny them the space to do so easily. And Saints didn't really have the answers. Uh, Leeds didn't achieve either here. It was not a good performance in that first half. And, uh, and again, there will be, I think that would have stung that they lost that one to, to Southampton on Saturday. 3-1 to Saints. Six more away wins. We've already spoken about one in Leicester. 
But six more teams won away in the champ, George. And some of them were surprising to a certain extent. Um, That's weird. I thought everything in football was predictable. <laughs> nice. Lovely recall there. Thank you. Preston, nil. West Brom, four. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe this was variance smacking Preston over the head um, four times in one game, uh, which maybe isn't the worst thing, to be honest, because Preston starts the season has been incredible. I think we can all agree with that. Um, there's no denying that they're, you know, it never looked particularly sustainable. They were, they were edging out opposite uh, opposite teams in games. Um, they weren't consistently, I would say, necessarily the better side, but they were clinical in front of goal and they were doing well to keep to keep things out at the other end. But this was a game where their opposition arrived and um, were clinical themselves with Darnell Furlong scoring after just four minutes. Um, they only had two shots pressed in the first half as they struggled to create anything. Alex Mowat scored the second, who was superb on the day. He's kind of broke forced his way back into the team and has, has stepped up uh, on arrival in that. Good to see Grady Diangana looking uh, dangerous again. It's been a while since we've been able to say that. Uh, he looked um, a, a decent goal threat throughout the first half and his ball-carrying ability um, certainly helped West Brom get onto the front foot um, before uh, goals in the second half. Matt Phillips with a deflected effort and then Carl Bartley kind of bundling it home late on. But Preston only had five shots in the whole game. Um, West Brom just kind of nullified their threat whilst also you know, providing quite a constant threat themselves. That's Corba ball. Well, that's what it's meant to be, isn't it? Uh, and yes. It's, and it's best. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And that's what we always used to say about Corba and Huddersfield is that when they went ahead, they were so hard to peg back. Um, they were able to, um, without kind of really shutting up shop, they were able to allow the opposition to have the ball, stop them, frustrate them, and then also manage to create on the counter themselves. And that's kind of what happened here with Preston having the majority of the ball after going 1-0 down, but but West Brom being by far the better side. Um, West Brom had like a an okay start to the season that looked like it was um, starting to tail off a little bit, but um, yeah, there's no... This kind of result, I guess, and this kind of performance um, at what is still a very early stage of the season uh, is maybe evidence that you know they can be a force. Um, they hadn't won in their previous four um, heading into this, but they're unbeaten for having drawn the three prior to that. Um, and with a home game against Sheffield Wednesday midweek, um, I'm sure they'll feel confident that they can go and get another three points if they can repeat that kind of performance. Millwall nil, Swansea three, playing football the Swansea way and winning by three goals to nil. Uh, playing football the Swansea way, by which I mean 67% possession in the first half hour, passes galore. Charlie Bettino getting on the ball, Matt Grimes getting on the ball, Bashir Humphreys, the Chelsea Loney playing left back here, getting on the ball, but also doing it in the final third. Uh, I like the look of the new 4 2 3 1. I really like it. Now, who scored? Sofer score. They've all still got it as a as a 3 1, as a basically a 3 5 2. I'm telling you, it's not that. Bashir Humphreys is playing left back. Key is playing very high as a right back, but as a right back nonetheless. Then it's uh, Grimes and Patino. Uh, it's Lowe, Patterson and Cullen uh, across the, the three and then behind uh, Jerry Yates. That's how I see it. And it worked last weekend and I think it works again here. And, you know, it's a simplistic way of looking at things, but you've got three players in midfield areas who can look after the ball and pick locks. That's Matt Grimes, that's Charlie Patino, that's Patterson. You've also got three players who I'm confident can all score goals at this level. That's Jamal Lowe, that's Jerry Yates, and that's Liam Cullen. So, uh, again, simplistic way of looking at it, but I don't hate that uh, as a kind of front 
six, I guess, if you like, or a midfield and attacking um, gang. So you, you can kind of tell that it's a bit of a new era when, when Matt Grimes is pulling the trigger from range. Uh, and I think Bart Bielkowski was surprised as well because it slipped under him. Uh, and the third goal scored by the Ukrainian striker they signed in the summer, Kukarevich. So an excellent day for Swans away at Millwall. Not a good day for Millwall. And, you know, some a bit like when you're in the middle of a long drive and a, a warning sign pops up on your dashboard that you haven't seen before. Ding. Get the manual out. Is that the case at Millwall, George? It strikes me that undeniably now, as we're nine games in, we can say that standards have dropped at both ends of the pitch. They don't look even half as solid as we expect them to. And they certainly don't look particularly good going forward, only scoring seven in their nine games, three of which were at home to Rotherham, which doesn't count. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess when managerial reigns come to an end, two things probably happen. Like One is that performances get worse, and then the other is that even when they kind of play okay, they're, they're either unfortunate or, or things go against them. And I kind of felt like in that Swansea game, like the in the first 20 minutes of the game, I thought Millwall had the better of it. Um, you know, when you're looking, you're saying they've got worse at both ends of the pitch. You know, Swansea only fashioned, what was it, seven seven shots in the game, one of which was a penalty. None of them were particularly good chances apart from the um, Kukrajevic uh, header that you mentioned just a second ago. Like, it didn't feel to me like... It wasn't was, a 3-0 game. No, it, it was just... you're leading up to, yeah, to not say. Yeah, <laughs> but but at this stage, does that really matter? Um you know, you you also say the, the 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 Swansea way, but after that first half an hour, I think the you look at the actual possession numbers for the game. It was actually fifty fifty with both teams completing as many passes as each, as each other. I'm surprised um, you heard me say that with the tongue planted firmly in my cheek as I it was. Well, yeah, but it was you know <laughs> it was the case. But like, so what I'm saying is that Millwall, this wasn't a, a game where Millwall squandered um, or were seeded possession. They had twenty two shots to seven. Um, yes, they were behind fairly early, which plays a part. Um, but you know that doesn't excuse um, them for what has been a, a poor start to the season. It's not going to really do much to proclaim Millwall fans who have decided they've had enough of watching uh, Gary Rowett's football. Um, you know, last time, as you say, Millwall were at home, they did beat Rotherham three 0 but that's a, a kind of probably easier game um, to face. They faced a trip to Plymouth uh, next up in midweek, where last time Plymouth played at home, they put six past Norwich so it could get ugly if things don't go particularly well for them there but it's also a game that Millwall fans will probably expect them to at least get a point from so um, yeah it's I, I still on this one in terms of pure um, you know job performance would think that Gary Rowett could feel maybe aggrieved if he were to lose his job but then I'm not a Millwall fan and I'm not someone who, has to, who, who chooses to pay money to go and watch him every week and if, and if those people decide that They've had enough of what they perceive to be a brand of football they don't enjoy, and they don't think the the results uh, over the last two years or three years uh, make up for that. Then, then who am I to tell them they're wrong? It'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, there's no denying that Rauer over the course of his time there has had Millwall punching above their weight, in in my opinion at least, given given where their, you know, their budget would keep them. There's also you know the tragic death of the owner in the summer that means that. Certainly, coming into the season, you think it's quite a difficult situation, especially given his close relationship with presumably both the fans and Rowett beforehand. Um, so, yeah, it's it. It'll be a hard one for Rowett to take. I'm sure he'd look back at some results this season as being pretty good. You know, beating Stoke at home, um, holding Baggies to a nil draw away from home in the game before this one. But uh, yeah, it's 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 certainly if you're looking at the moment for 
Do you remember there was that screen on Championship Manager where you could go job security and it would have like very insecure, insecure, safe, mm. and then secure, secure and then safe. Untouchable, I think you could achieve. Only you. <laughs> uh, only you saw that. Don't touch me. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, are we are we going from insecure to very very insecure? I, I'm not, you know, it's impossible to, to read into it right now, but there's, there's definitely unrest amongst the fan base. It would actually be, as long as we did it respectfully. Should quite, we do that? Quite a helpful thing for us to have maybe... Uh, it could live on ntt20.com yeah with hopefully with the permission of our friends at football manager and boy are we excited about fm24 coming out in a, in a couple of months yeah um that would be yeah, quite an interesting thing to develop anyway george tell me about sheffield wednesday nil sunderland three from friday night I was I looking mean, after a groom <laughs> ahead of his wedding i did not get to see this one but i feel like I feel like it went a certain kind of way. Well, yeah, it was just uh, when, when when your luck is down, you're 2-0 down after 10 minutes. Um, and that's what happened here to Sheffield Wednesday. Like if I, if I just gave, not an impassioned defence, but like tried to at least show two sides of the story when it comes to Gary Rowett and, and Sheffield Wednesday, I think it's basically impossible to do that for Cisco Munoz, where um, I think I saw they were 3-0 down at half time and Sunderland had had 72% possession which is just like when you consider that you're playing at home and you're one nil down after four minutes, five minutes, sorry, with a Dan Ballard um, header, basically an uncontested header after a good corner from Alex Pritchard. Uh, uh, you know, Jack Clark's goal is one of those goals where from a pure Jack Clark perspective, it's great. You know, he picks up the ball, he runs, he cuts inside, it's an enter- and it's a quality finish. But the defending is... Just remarkable. Like it's as if they don't know who Jack Clark is. You're like, right, we're just gonna we're just gonna stand off you. We're gonna show you inside, if anything, uh, and let you do exactly what you want to do when you pick the ball up. Like lo- like lunacy, the defending. Um, and then Clark puts away a penalty to make it three 0 just after the half an hour mark. And, and even from there, even though um, Sunderland didn't push on in the way that Tony Mowbray would have liked, they weren't really troubled defensively either. Um, this Sheffield Wednesday side are so far off being a cohesive unit so far away from even I would say that you know if in my mind if you had Sheffield Wednesday from last season versus Sheffield Wednesday from this season last season's League One Sheffield Wednesday would be massive favourites like there's been a huge drop off in terms of quality despite you know going out and recruiting players um, despite changing the manager it's it's a total mess and and I even at this early stage like if they were to part company with Cisco Munoz which doesn't seem particularly likely with Dejan Chanceri releasing that statement last week where he basically blamed the fan base for the reason as to why he's not going to spend any more money which is you know just ridiculous and if he's not going to spend any more money then he's not going to pay compensation to sack a manager you assume but if, if they were and they were to go out and get you know the, the man who <laughs> you, would, you would normally take this kind of job is obviously Dean off, Smith off limits to Sheffield, to Sheffield Wednesday Warnock. yeah Right. Um, so it wouldn't be him, but that kind of manager, if they were to come in and, and keep Sheffield Wednesday safe this season, I think it'd be an incredible job because right now they're way, way off it. Bristol City 2, Stoke 3. I didn't really see Bristol City having a throwing away a two-goal lead at home in them. And I definitely don't think I saw Stoke City having a roaring comeback from 2-0 down to 3-2 away from home in them. So here's the unpredictable championship uh, Bristol City two up in the first half uh, Bell just continuing to accumulate goals like 
somehow kind of under the radar for a very young academy graduate maybe because we're so used to Bristol City bringing them through giving them opportunities and them stepping up and, and grabbing them with both hands uh, then they went 2-0 up when Hoover absolutely sucked gave it away and Wells cleaned up uh, and then second half just a ton of new Stoke City names decided to introduce themselves all at once they obviously had a very lively summer in the transfer market uh, and in this game Mehdi Leris scoring a blinder with his left foot. Sead Haksabanovic yeah. scoring the equalising goal. And then the winner, Yunho Bay, setting up academy graduate Nathan Lowe to win it for Stoke. This was just big for Alex Neal because um, I think expectations have been fairly high this season and uh, Stoke have put in some okay performances at times, but I think had they been beaten here and they looked like they were going to be beaten when it was 2-0, you know, that is when he probably starts to come under pressure. Um, but instead of that, they come away with a, a huge away win with an academy graduate scoring in the 90th minute. Like that has a very different um, knock-on effect to, to, to Stoke season. So I think not from a, a footballing point of view, where again, it was kind of clinical finishing, I guess, from Stoke that, that got them back in the game. Um, it's still a, it could be a turning point, I guess, in, in Neil's time at the club. And no, it has not escaped my attention that Yun Ho fits very nicely into a certain track <laughs> that has been something of a soundtrack to championship discussion on this podcast. In fact, if Nathan Lowe calls himself Nat or Nate... Nate Lowe. Tell me about QPR 1, Coventry 3, because Lee on the squad at halftime wrote his thoughts... And it's one of those where I caught up at the end of the weekend and I saw Lee Wright at halftime at nil-nil that he was really encouraged with QPR's performance. Again, that he was pleased with the performance levels, but I knew that the final score was 3-1 to Cov. So what happened? <laughs> yeah, a few things. I mean, from the Coventry point of view, it was interesting because I, you know, it's only one game, um, but we know that QPR aren't a side who necessarily look to um, do too much expansive with the ball. Coventry, there's been a big switch this season where last season they were counter-attacking side and it felt like uh, maybe the loss of Jokares and the addition of Ellis Sims meant that um, Mark Robbins and his coaching staff decided to try and change the way that they played uh, and um, you know play a more possession-based style. Watching the game, because Coventry have played twice since we last sat down and spoke about EFL football on a Monday, because uh, they played l last Monday night against Hull. And they were very good in the first half where they really dominated possession and um, were... You know, good value for their one 0 lead, even if the the goal itself came from one of the weirdest goals you're ever going to see, um, with um, Yasin Ayari uh, kind of scoring a both a not deliberate handball, but having no idea that the ball was even coming towards him. Um, and in that game, their out ball was consistently Sakamoto playing on the right hand side, like it was just often the ball given Sakamoto came back onto that, onto his left foot and either put a cross in or, or would would kind of wrestle it back into the middle. Um, but in this game, they kind of shifted it a little bit with Allen coming in as a 10 uh, in place of Ayari. Um, and the, the way that they played felt a bit more like last season's Coventry, where they were happy to kind of um, give up possession more often. Um, I think the the fact that Allen was in, was in the side basically enabled Eccles and, uh, and Kelly to 
not have to do too much of the ball playing, like Kelly, especially against Huddersfield. You know, you'd see possession go into him a lot, but he's not necessarily the most creative passer. Um, and then Latibodier came in as, as a right wing back and basically played with a with a, a more of a uh, wing back style than necessarily than, than just the wide men, and it worked. Um, you know, Sims played much much better. He seemed to enjoy exploiting the space. I think, in particular, his second goal in the game was the best move of the match and that was again a, a counter-attacking move like some intricate passing on the halfway line and they sprang and, and, and it was a good ball into um, to Sims who tucked home uh, it was just a, a more all-round performance and yes you know they were playing against poor opposition in QPR who've struggled uh, a lot this season um, but even so it kind of suggested to me that we might be seeing a an acceptance that um, what they were doing last season wasn't necessarily broken and maybe we, they should kind of revert back to that means of, of, of approaching games. Um, yeah, with QPR, you know, they weren't that poor. Um, Kenny Powell scored very late on, um, but I, th- I thought Coventry were the better team on the day. Uh, and for QPR now, you, you kind of alluded to it when I was saying a few weeks ago, like maybe QPR are going to be okay. And it was like, well, you know, maybe they might be okay for a time, but given the the size of their squad, will they be able to sustain that? And again, you look at the bench on Saturday and you're wondering where the players are that can kind of provide the depth that is needed over the course of a season. So maybe we're starting to see the performances tail a little bit. It feels like they're not translating good spells in games into goals, not turning good performances into into points. And that is a worry, uh, as you say. Uh, Sinclair Armstrong, bit of a weird moment where he got brought down by Wilson, having kind of snuck in between Wilson and a defender that was ushering it back to Wilson. Wilson slid in, took him down, and you're thinking, it's right right on the edge, either free kick in a red, if it's outside the box, or pen in a yellow, if it's inside the box, or goal kick. That's what the ref went with. Yeah. So he knows that Sinclair Armstrong touched the ball because he's given a goal kick. He doesn't think there was any foot on ball from Wilson. Yeah. He just didn't care that Wilson had flown in and he suggested he's bottled it no I just think we should have VAR (laughs) your face (laughs) oh that's an all-timer that's an all-time moment for me I've built up to that so well and I've caught a thick outside edge caught at third slip Uh, incredibly sexy goals I thought or at least can uh, you say that yeah I think so wow I think Borough's goals in particular their second goal where Dieng with a lot of man-to-man marking of the players in front of him, played a beautiful wedge ball into basically into the centre circle where McGree had peeled off the left, played a first-time ball into a, a galloping Matt Crooks. And is there a championship player that represents the word galloping more than, than Matt Crooks? I think probably not. He played it back to McGree, who just passed it into the... Dave, David Horseman. Galloping. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... Should have been a jockey, really. <laughs> Bayo and Hutt equalised for for Watford. Remarkable strike. From well, I think I think Hutt. I think uh, McGree second and Hoot's goal are two of the weirdest strikes you're going to see uh. to score goals in the same game. I mean, Hoot's was actually amazing to basically meet the ball in that kind of trajectory and control it enough to, to score it, even if it did look fairly unorthodox. And then Coburn got the winner, which I think we're quite excited really about excited. the fact that he has started their last three home games and. Uh, Finished well, which I, I think is one of the things that, that made us pop him into the old uh, 21 under 21 last mm. season because he, at a very young age, looks to be more than comfortable in his role as finisher, which is a, you know the sort of responsibility that a, long, a lot of young players struggle with. Uh, Watford lose and they'll feel a bit like frustrated again. I feel like Watford are losing a lot of games or leaving a lot of games feeling frustrated. 
Um, I just have one demand for Valishmel. Get Yasser Espria in the team and don't take him off. Just play every minute under the sun because he's one of the most creative passing players I've seen at this level. Uh, and he played Bayo through at 2-1, I think. And Bayo squandered the chance. But he's just, he sees things and he executes things that that other players can't do. So get him in the team. Just make it work, even if he's a luxury player. Two solid home wins to talk about, George. Uh, you can choose whether you tell me about Norwich 2, Birmingham 0, or Cardiff 2, Rotherham 0. I'll do Norwich 2, Birmingham 0. Um, this is a return to um, form for Norwich, who'd endured a difficult little run. Um, actually, both teams really endured a difficult run, and, and you know this was a game where something had to give, and it did for the home side. Uh, Gabriel Sara with um, a nice header for the first, you know, continuing his good form so far this season. John Rowe getting back to scoring ways with his sixth goal of the season after a drought after five and five to start the season. Um, he, I just loved the assist from Huang for for Rowe's goal. Just really, it was almost like a backhill assist but a tackle at the same time, which was pretty fun. Um, and Rowe finished uh, very well. Definitely some concerns for, for Birmingham. I know that uh, John Eustace was being linked to the Rangers job a few weeks ago when the first rumours about Mick Beale's imminent departure kind of flared up. So it'll be interesting to see if that um, comes to anything. You know, I still maintain that I think Birmingham are a decent side and Eustace is doing a good job. But after a really strong start to the season, they've definitely tailed off a little bit, even though Stansfield was still a, a threat here, uh, as was Mayoshi for, for Birmingham. They've got a lot of good attacking players, Um and maybe they just need to, you know, early on in the campaign, it felt like they were kind of attacking with reckless abandon. And now that, that isn't really the case. Um, so one to watch. But certainly for Norwich, this was a, a much needed home win to get everyone back on side. Cardiff 2, Rotherham nil, Four wins in a row for Cardiff City. They are all the way up in the playoff places. And it's hard not to really buy into the excitement of the Cardiff City fans. Uh, and I'm I'm pretty much there for it really I think that they're getting good contributions from a lot of different individuals Errol Buller is the star for me not any of the big name players that they signed this summer I mean Ramsey's been out for the last three games and they've won all of them without him and it's a lot of guys who they didn't sign in the summer that I think are their key players you know albeit accepting that this is more of a collective effort at the moment people like NG, people like Wintle, uh, Rawls has stepped up as well. Then you've got big Keon Atete scoring a really nice goal and clearly playing very well in the number nine role, even though they bought loads of attacking players this summer, presumably for the reason that they didn't necessarily think Atete could be a, you know their starting number nine. It feels like everyone is stepping up, not just those that joined in the summer, and, and the whole floor of the club has been raised, and that's really exciting. Um, Atete is showing why... You spend money on him, even at a very young age, even if, as has been the case, it's take it's taken him a while to get ready to start and lead the line for a championship club, which is a difficult thing to do. He's still only 21, which is pretty crazy because it feels like we've been watching him for the last three years or so because of a couple of loans that he had before joining Cardiff. But he has the, the profile. He is the profile of striker that all Premier League clubs want. Look at strikers like Watkins, like Calvert-Lewin, guys who play at the very top level now it's not just about their goal scoring it's about their profile and in particular are they tall enough and strong enough to bang with defenders and disrupt them are they quick enough to spin in behind and stretch defenses and be really dangerous on the counter-attack and I think Atete 
with the profile that he has, was always going to be someone that, that caught the eye. And it looks, based on what I saw over the weekend, that he, he's starting to develop the confidence and the all-round game to kind of make the most of, of the potential that he clearly has. So it's all pretty good for Cardiff. They got Borough away this midweek, then Watford next weekend, or this weekend rather. So not easy at all. And, you know, beating Rotherham at home, I'm afraid, Miller's fans, is, is, is nothing impressive because away from home, they're about as bad a team as, as I've seen. Uh, I watched them live away at Millwall and uh, the 10 days or so ago. It was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in the flesh from a championship team. They then were improved back at home that weekend and then poor again away from home, not laying a glove on Cardiff, leaky down the sides in particular. And I just, surely there's a way of them being more competitive away from home, even accepting the resource disadvantage that they have, even accepting the injuries that they have. Surely there's a way of them being a little harder to beat. Otherwise, they are just giving themselves 23 games, basically, at the New York Stadium to get the 40x amount of points that they need to stay up. Uh, Huddersfield drew one all with Ipswich. That means Darren Moore's start to life as Huddersfield manager has been met with two one all draws after a late equaliser at Cov last Monday night. A, a decent start, a good start, I think. Plenty of positives. And then Hull drew one all with, with Argyle, which is a, a great point away from home for Argyle and means that Hull's unbeaten run is stretched to eight games. League One, George, which is kind of the ugly duckling in the sense that, true to form, there were three nil-nils, there were three one-nils, and only two games where both teams scored out of 12. It's a bit like, you know how if you miss the start of a trend, then you instinctively are like, oh, it's, it's rubbish, I, don't, I actually don't want, I don't want to be part of that trend. It's like you and Gnocchi, isn't it? Like me and Gnocchi, yeah, exactly. You sort of... You almost go deliberately the other way just because you don't want to admit that you've just been a bit late on something. I feel a bit like that's League One this season, watching the Championship and League Two, having tons of funds. Tons of funds? <laughs> having tons of fun. Tons and, of funds or tons of funds? And League One just taking itself a bit too seriously, kind of, you know, tutting and rolling its eyes. Attacking football, just that's just a fad, mate. That's not proper. Um, that's where we're at with League One. But at the top of it, there are a couple of teams really smashing it at the moment. Not least, Portsmouth FC winning 2-1 at Wigan. Making a bit of a habit of um, going 1-0 down and winning 2-1 in the last week. Pompey, they did it against Lincoln. They've done it here against uh, Wigan as well. Um, yeah, w Wigan took the lead. I mean, Wigan, who've been struggling a bit as of late. You know, they were off that incredible start to the season. Uh, Sean Maloney won um, Manager of the Month in uh, August. But September was... A bit more difficult, uh, but they took the lead here through Martial waiting for Godot. Uh, Martial Beckett Godot, I should say, to use his full name. Um, Didn't have to wait long at all for his first DFL goal. No, 27 minutes into this game, uh, specifically. And then uh, Regan Poole scored the his third goal of the season, I think it is, um, which was very fortunate because it kind of hit him, uh, Connor Shaughnessy, um, with a shot that kind of rebounded off Poole and went into the back of the net and Poole wheeled away, arm aloft, before Paddy Lane um, scored a goal to put them 2-1 up as Wigan fans uh, saw Pompey score twice in, in pretty quick succession. Um, and there wasn't a great deal to report in the second half, uh, but Pompey were, as they often are, very, very solid and hard to break down when ahead, and that has been the key. You know, this unbeaten run for John Massinho continues, um, and because League One doesn't look very strong right now when you've got a team of Pompey who are very, very solid as a defensive unit, who seem to score at least one goal in every game, um, you know they've already got a decent buffer in the in the automatic 
promotion places. They're on 22 points, four points um, clear of Stevenage in third. And, you know, what is it now? It's uh, six points clear of Barnsley in seventh. Like, there's already a decent gap there for them to have done. I mean, this isn't the first time Pompey have started the season well. And uh, we know that um, as a fan base, they've witnessed their team um, drop after a decent start. You know, they're also currently um, top of the league but not have do not have the highest points per game in the league with Oxford in second who played a game fewer, a game less, um, and were one point fewer, um, hot on their coattails. But right now it, it does really feel like those two sides are the ones who are putting in winning performances the most often. It's a, it's an expansion of what you talked about with Pompey last week, but I think to me it seems like they've they've got a very high floor. We talk about floors and ceilings probably too much. <laughs> Uh, on the pod, uh, it's a sort of analogy that, for for whatever reason, has really become a big part of my life. Not the top room, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And to me, Pompey have definitely a very high floor, and I guess we're still trying to work out exactly how high the ceiling is. I think there's maybe an instinct that saying a team has a very high floor is is almost like sort of damning praise. And I, I definitely don't mean it like that. I, th- I I think there's a suggestion of like, I want a high ceiling. That sounds way more fun. <laughs> that sounds that sounds way sexier. But it, it's actually not. Like the high floor uh, is when the team is the star, which means the manager is getting everything basically spot on, which means you're not reliant on one or two players, which means you're doing your job defensively, which means you're always in every game that you play, which helps you not lose any games. They've had, uh, I think it's eight zeros and ones, if you like. So they've either kept clean sheet or conceded just the one in their nine, in their 10 league games. Sorry, nine of them. And the one time they conceded more than once, they were already 3-0 up at Barnsley and it was a 3-2. They've actually conceded in each of their last five games. So this isn't a case of they are massively overperforming defensively and they're just, you know, they're relying on some good shot stopping. They're actually, you know, just a, a good defensive team um, and good enough attacking as well that they're really, you know, turning all of that into into points. It's another thing that I talk about a lot is is the idea of like a really repeatable performance level, not necessarily needing it to be nine or ten out of ten at any point, but if you can keep it repeatable at eight or seven out of ten, then that's going to lead to confidence, a strong mentality, which in turn leads to, I think better performance levels uh, and it all kind of feeds into itself so you know it's a balanced squad with a seemingly increasingly settled 11 fringe players that are slotting in and, and understanding what to do and I think it's really worth respecting at the moment you know we want and we look for teams that dominate football matches and score loads of goals and dominance in football looks a certain kind of way generally and it's what's easy to, to kind of be drawn to but promotions aren't always one like that and in League One, as you alluded to last week, we're not sure who the real candidates are for high ceiling, dominant promotion. Maybe Bolton, who I still think are in good nick. But at the moment, we've got two teams in Oxford and Portsmouth who are ticking a lot of the boxes that I'm talking about. Uh, and Pompey have two home games this week against Wickham and Port Vale as well. So a really good chance if they can keep up that performance level to take four, maybe six points. And then next Monday... I'm going to blow the bloody roof off, let alone raise the ceiling. Um, as for Wigan, pretty simple. They're, they're finding it very difficult to stop the opposition from penetrating them, taking mm. big shots, big chances and scoring goals. And then Charlie White getting sent off as well isn't ideal. Not ideal. 
Uh, is it tactical? Is it personnel? I think, I think maybe a bit of a mixture of the two, but I've seen Maloney coach a really good looking defence before and I, I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do that at this level unless for whatever reason there's a stylistic uh, reason with the, with the personnel where it's, it's not quite working. Anyway, plenty to improve for them uh, after that strong start to the season. What about Oxford United? Going to Steve Evans and Edge. Liam Manning doing a horses for courses. Big tactical tweak. Moving away from the shape that they've been playing for most of the season so far. Including bringing Greg Lee in to play left wing back. Greg Lee. <laughs> Moving your left back, Kieran Brown, inside to play left centre back in a three. Bringing Finn Stevens in because he fits playing right wing back probably more naturally than Sam Long does. And Greg Lee scoring two in a 3-1 win. Whew. Yeah, kind of out Steve Evans, Steve's Evans image. <laughs> say that quickly. Um, it was yeah, a, a big call, I'd say, for Manning to change both personnel and shape. There was kind of a hint that he was going to do it uh, last time out when he brought on Greg Lee uh, to kind of play wide left late on in the game against Exeter, despite having Tyler Goodrum uh, and Josh Murphy on the bench. Um, but as yeah, it was a change of shape. It was a three-four-two-one, I would say, with Bowden up front and Rodriguez and Goodrum in behind. Uh, Lee left wing back, Stevens right wing back, and then the, the the back three of Long on the right hand side, Brown on the left, and more in the middle. Um, and it worked really well. You know, Stevenage were were the, by far the better side in the first twenty minutes of the game, and got their reward uh, through a a nice read goal. It was kind of a, a role reversal this game, where the goal that Stevenage scored was the kind you might have expected to see Oxford score at times this season, like quick in transition, ball out to the right. Um, pacey attacker beats the, the defender and meets it and, and tucks it away. Oxford's goals, on the other hand, were the kind of goals we've seen we've seen this Stevenage team score for the last eighteen months, where the first was um, kind of winning, uh, Bully Bowden heading against the bar and Lee being alive to the to the knockdown and, and prodding it home. The second was indirectly from a long throw where Greg Lee kind of swivelled and, and hit a left footed shot into the back of the net, and then Elliot Moore scored from a. A short corner routine with Josh Murphy clipping the ball in for you know more to stoop and head into the bottom right hand corner. So you know all all game Oxford were a bigger threat than Stevenage from set pieces. You know they fought fire with fire by having basically three players. You know the, the three centre backs and plus Lee, who's very good aerially as well. So you kind of had four aerial defenders in both boxes, which you know when you consider that Lee scored twice and Moore scored the other, uh, clearly worked. So. Yeah, as an Oxford fan, it's been amazing to see this season that, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought, uh, especially after the opening game of the season and having seen Manning's MK Don side, that we would be a, a very heavy possession side, but they've won in so many different ways. Um, one dominating possession, one with very little possession, one pressing teams high, one sitting off in a low block. Like, it's, it doesn't really seem to matter what the, um, you know, basically the opposition is all that matters when it comes to how Oxford are going to play rather than having a, a plan A and sticking with it. And that is when you consider how successful it's been for the most part, it's it's, it's pretty impressive. A tactical chameleon. Yeah. Liam Manning. Half man, half chameleon. Um, Bolton beat Port Vale 1-0. And they had sort of star performances at both ends of the pitch, by which I mean Dion Charles scored a, a nice solo goal and then Nathan Baxter did his job quite well too, making a few saves in their goal. Uh, Baxter, about as good a replacement, I think, for your man James Trafford, uh, as it was likely Bolton were going to get. More good recruitment there from Chris Markham and Ian Everett. Um, I've seen 
Bolton fan, Tenzo on the squad just the last week or two. Bit concerned about injuries, about absences, about concerns that maybe the squad doesn't look that good. Maybe people think the squad's a bit stronger than it is. I- I'm not worried at all. I still think Bolton are seriously good. And I think you can basically look at their results so far. And they've had two bad ones, two defeats, an aberration against Wigan, as we've discussed. Um, they threw that one away in the first half an hour. Uh, throwing away a 1-0 lead at Reading in what was pretty unusual fashion. But again, in terms of the actual performance, not like horrendously concerning. And then two away draws at Burton and Posh, the only other games they've dropped points. I think you take away draws at Burton and Posh as, as decent results, really. And then five wins, where in, in most of them they've been approaching that dominance level that I, I referred to earlier. So uh, they've got two strikers in Adaboy Ajo and, and Dion Charles who are both getting chances and scoring goals at a good rate. And there are many clubs that would love just one striker uh, to whom that applies. Uh, of the 17 attackers in League One to have played more than 600 minutes this season, Adaboy Ajo is first for XG per 90, Charles is sixth, and they're third and fifth for non-penalty goals per 90. So they've got two of the most prolific uh, strikers in League One so far this season, which will certainly help. Uh, Peterborough 2, Bristol Rovers 0. George, a lot of people calling this one the Johnson-Clark-Harris derby in reference to JCH, who not only has played for both, but also was meant to be playing in this fixture for for gas. Mm. If the paperwork had been done in time on deadline day, which it wasn't, uh, I'm calling this the uh, Collins derby because both teams have got a Collins. A Collins. And one of them scored. Remember, when I was going through the, the scores of the, I was like, 2-0, 2-0 Peterborough. Ah, oh, Aaron Collins scored. And you were like, what? And I was like, yeah, that didn't make sense, did it? Yeah, but even after 99 bottles of Peroni. I got confused. I still realised there was an issue there. You said you had six. <laughs> yes. Um, so this was a, yeah, I mean, a, a decent home win for, for Posh. Um, you know, Bristol Rovers, probably came away from it feeling like they, they easily could have taken something from the game I would have thought um, you know they had chances but mainly once having once they were already 2-0 down as you mentioned Johnson Clark Harris probably the, the big story coming to this but it wasn't him who scored either of the goals he was actually you know pretty quiet for him uh, just the one shot Archie Collins scored the first from range uh, David Adjaboy scored the second uh, just after half time by that stage Bristol Rovers had had you know a, a couple of opportunities early on um, but you know, Bosch were pretty good value for their lead. Um, and after going 2-0 down, then um, Aaron, Collins, Aaron Collins had the best opportunity for Bristol Rovers, who, had, uh, who created a, a bit. And as I say, could probably feel aggrieved to not having scored one of them. But, I, you know, we've got to talk, and it's boring. And I know that lots of Bristol Rovers fans think that um, they get scrutinised too often because of who the manager is and people's uh, preconceptions of him. But um, Joey Barton, we have to kind of talk about... Uh, what he said about Luke Thomas. Um, Well, I'll read the quote and people can make up their own minds. Uh, Then to compound it, one idiotic young boy, I can't even call him a man, has compromised the team with his behavioural standards and we find ourselves 2-0 down and a mountain to climb. Unless we man up, and I know you have to be careful saying that in the modern era, and absolutely eradicate those weak, feeble-minded individuals that are currently inside our unit, then we won't get promoted out out of this division. Luke so he can name him now, reported his hamstring was tight one minute before going out. He got told to test it and he said, no, I'm fine. 
the ball is down his side and he said his hamstring is gone, so we're about to make a substitution. But in his infinite wisdom, he goes to press the ball and completely exposes Jack Hunt. We should do better after that. I mean, now, we we don't know the relationship between Joey Barton and Luke Thomas. We have no idea. Well, I don't have any idea of the character of Luke Thomas. We don't know if this is maybe what he reacts to or... I will say he has previously been in a similar way, although not quite as extreme, very openly critical of Luke Thomas, I think during their promotion season. And in theory, the outcome was it, it helped motivate him. Well, that's it. So so there is every chance, I think, that you know Joey Barton knows how to manage his players and, and whatever. And this is like a, a means of um, trying to get the best out of him. But I, I have a bit of an issue with the language that's being used. I just don't think you can, you know, even... It's like also that thing he says, unless we man up, and I know you have to be careful saying that in the modern era. Well, I mean, A, probably don't say that. But it's not even that I have an issue with. It's the idea of calling another kind of fellow human being an idiotic young boy. Feeble-minded. I can't even call him a man. Like, it, it's just, I just don't think there's any need for it. I don't think there's any place for it. I guess if that is a, a means of, um, of, of motivating a player, you can probably do it in-house, I think. And I'm sure there are some out there who think I'm a snowflake for saying it. But I just think when you're a manager of a team where you're going to have a lot of um, people and you know, basically children uh, who are going to listen and read these comments, it just does not um, set a particularly good example of how you should treat fellow human beings. So I I just think it's pretty gross, if I'm honest. Um, and when you watch back the phase of play, um, uh, you know... It, it's about 30 seconds before the goal. I, I wouldn't say he pressed him particularly aggressively. It's The whole thing is really, really yeah. strange. Good win for Posh, though, you have to say, and particularly after defeat to Mansfield in the Cup in midweek, where, talk about strong words from a manager. I mean, Darren Ferguson was so angry with their defeat on penalties to Mansfield in the Cup. He said something like, I don't think I should have to work with these people. Um, so a uh, lot of strong words flying around uh, Ferguson getting the win here uh, bit of luck bit of finishing on Posh's side there Bristol Rovers certainly had their chances and uh, I dare say they'd like to have Johnson Clark Harris up front mm. <laughs> he did make an amazing goal line block as well uh, Barnsley nil, Blackpool won Blackpool's first away win of the season it came from the spot it came from Jordan Rhodes's right foot it came from all roads lead to Jordan. Yeah. I've been to Jordan. It's an amazing place. <laughs> CJ Hamilton coaxing a foul out of Corey O'Keefe. It was it was misjudged defending. I think it's probably the kindest, you know, in the interest of using kind language. Uh, it was it was a, a misjudgment from Corey O'Keefe in the box. Uh, CJ Hamilton has been pretty exceptional this season. His his speed and direct running really does cause problems for, for defenders, particularly at this level. Um, and Barnsley didn't have a shot on target. They had a couple of efforts. McAtee blazing over, probably the best effort uh, in the second half. Um, but Barnsley, uh, we spoke about on the betting show, one of the worst XG against numbers in the league, um, was was cause for a little bit of concern. Uh, and they're, they're still working out that they're sort of best personnel at the back as well. Absence is not helping. Um, but it was going forward here where they just didn't hit the same standards as they have done in recent weeks. Uh, and Blackpool get a big win, as do Northampton at Exeter. I sort of think this is the, the the kind of game that you get around match day 9 or 10, which reminds you that early season league table or league position focus 
can be a bit silly, um, by which I mean any feeling that there are big gaps between teams because one is towards the top of a table and another is towards the bottom can just be big traps, can basically obscure the fact that there isn't that much between the teams in reality. Uh, and that was the case because Northampton went to Exeter, maybe a little fatigued after big win against Luton in the Cup on Tuesday night. Um, but absolutely no argument with the, with the result here. Um, and I just wish that the camera angle would show a, a bit more of a wider angle of the movement of their attackers for their first goal. Because while it was lovely build-up in midfield and McWilliams heavily involved in the defensive and middle thirds and a great ball through, from what we can see, I think the fluidity and the movement of the front players is absolutely brilliant. It looks like it pulls Exeter's centre-backs apart and then Hoskins makes a really clever run across the front line in behind onto the through ball uh, to finish well. And, and Hoskins has had a, some good opportunities that he's not taken in the last month or so, uh, which have you know had an impact on Cobbler's points return. And Lord knows no one's been you know responsible for more points than, than he has in, in possibly in Northampton Town history, or maybe certainly recent history. Um, but uh, it's nice to see him, him put them ahead here. They've got the lowest XG against from open play in League One. Northampton Town. Wow. Which is quite surprising. And it's their set-piece defending that's been really poor. They give up about 45% of their total XG from set-piece situations. That's undermining them a bit, but I would say it has to be a good sign long-term if they mm. can keep those standards up. Uh, hitting high standards and a big old points return recently, Wickham Wanderers, George, wandering their way to a 2-0 win against Carlisle. Yeah, um, and the, the, you know the main point in this one I think was the early red card to Jockel Anderson um, Sam Vokes doing a, a Dion Dublin um, yes Robbie but, Keane yeah but rather than scoring a goal he gets the opposition goalkeeper sent off where he kind of crept up behind Jockel Anderson who, uh, the goalkeeper at Carlisle who rolled the ball out Vokes never seen him run so fast in my whole life um, head down galloped again to take the ball off Anderson who then it was kind of a weird red card decision where, I mean, you don't seem to think it was that weird. I've watched it about 57 times and I'm still not entirely sure Anderson um, handballs it, which is what he's being, I think it's widely being credited as a red card for handball. Um, and the fact you've watched it 57 times before coming to that conclusion is why I think it's not that surprising or But I, or I, I don't understand that line of thinking, like a handball. Well, it's taken you so long no, but, to but work no, out. But, but, like, but like, I, the reason I watched it that many times is because on first view, I didn't think it was a handball. So then you keep watching it to try and see the hand. You're like, I can't see the hand here. Right. It's not like I watched it for 50 times and on the 50th time I was like, where's the hand? Well, it, it took you quite a long time to like cement your strong opinion. Well, because because the more, as you keep looking and you don't see it. Anyway, mm. I mean, I, I've, who cares basically? Um, but I it looked a bit contentious to me as to whether or not there's any hand there. If there's any, you know, the fact that he's a goalkeeper outside the box um, if he slide tackles and it ricochets off Folks's knee and hits his hand, is that therefore a red card? I, I don't think so. If it looks like it's probably a yellow card to me, I'm not sure he's um, preventing a goal-scoring opportunity because I think the tackle is sound. But regardless, uh, it doesn't matter. Wickham were on top before that, and um, you know won the game fairly comfortably. Like Carlisle, to their credit, um, had their own chances, especially from set pieces in the second half. Um, you know they didn't roll over. Um, but Wickham were, were by far the better team um, with Luke Leahy putting away the first for the, the penalty and then Sam Vokes getting a, a goal that he deserved after some pressure from Carlisle. So, you know, Wickham have won five games this season. Two of them have come where the opposition have had an early red card. Um, but, you know, they you've got to take those chances and that's something they've done. Lincoln beat Cheltenham 2-0. 
Uh, impressive. Cheltenham still yet to score a goal. Well, I'm going to focus on the victors first. Thank you very much. Uh, impressive from Lincoln in the wow. context of their Wednesday night game against West Ham at Sinsel Bank, which I watched in the bath, uh, in which they put in an unbelievable effort and were the better side for parts of the game before losing it in uh, in the second part of the second half. In crazy conditions as well, wind and rain, etc. Uh, for them to get themselves back on the horse and, uh, and be so comfortable here against, as you alluded to, a team that is performing about as poorly as we've seen for a while. Um, and Lincoln are fantastic defensively. You know, I mentioned... Uh, Northampton Town's underlying numbers are brilliant. Lincoln's defensive numbers are excellent. They've only conceded two goals from open play in their league campaign so far. They really do have a very, very strong structure uh, out of possession. And they just they just keep the ball really quite far away from their goal in the most part. And when it gets close, they've got a good keeper in Jensen. They've got centre-backs who make blocks. Really, really impressed with the way that Mark Kennedy has them set up defensively. They're not always... Beautiful going forward. Uh, the two goals were pretty nice, well worked, good use of, of the wing backs that they play with, with Lasse Sørensen scoring uh, two pretty similar goals in the first half to win 2 0. For Cheltenham, it's over a thousand minutes of league action uh, without a goal now, George, and we don't need to bang on about it. But what we do need to mention is it's within that context that enter stage left Daryl Clark, the new Cheltenham town manager what do we think about Cheltenham turning to Daryl to turn things around yeah I think it's of the names that were linked with him you know there was a time where it looked like it was going to be according to the bookmakers anyway David Artel um there was a time where it looked like it was going to be Scott Brown and I think Daryl Clark is uh the best candidate of those three in my mind it's interesting you know I I know that things didn't necessarily go to plan at uh Walsall but with his two clubs prior to that and Bristol Rovers and Port Vale, he delivered on um, promotions. With Bristol Rovers, I think probably quite crucially, he has overseen a relegation and then, um, you know, bounced back with a double promotion. And for Cheltenham, you know, I'm I'm sure Daryl won't be thinking this, but, you know, if he were to keep um, Cheltenham up this season, it would be a genuinely incredible job given that they have yet to score a goal and we are in October. Um, they are already um, cut off from the rest of the league, basically. There's, there's, they're four points behind even the, the team in 23rd. Um, and they look to me and every XG ratio table has them as the worst team in, in the in the league by miles. Um, so he will have to do incredibly well in order to, to keep them up. Um, but if, as expected, they do get relegated, you know, he has had experience in the past of being in a, in a dressing room and, and being there to oversee that transition period after relegation and come back even stronger. I think for Cheltenham, that's what they have to be planning for. And I think Daryl Clark, who will be aware going into this job that the chances are it's probably going to be a League Two job long term, um, or at least next season, um, having someone who can come in and try and just basically change the culture uh, to what he wants it to be. And if they can manage to stay up, then, then fair play to them. Um because you know we've spoken a lot about how key people have left Cheltenham, and right now they need a leader, somebody with a bit of experience, a bit of a track record, who can kind of build his own project there. And in Clark, they they absolutely have that. So I'm excited to see how it goes. Um, as I say, I think he'd have to be a miracle worker to make it much better fast. Um, and I doubt they're going to have the kind of spending. Well, 
I'm sure they won't have the kind of spending power they need in January in order to overhaul the squad to, to the level it's needed to be. Um, but I do think in the long term, he's someone who, um, you know, with, with links to the local area and um, having performed very well in two of his three EFL jobs, that's a pretty good ratio that, that not a lot of head coaches and managers can bring to the table. Lost one, drew one, then he won one. That's Lee Johnson, Fleetwood manager, first win as the boss of the Cod Army. Uh, and it was a 1-0 win at home to Leighton Orient. And I love this, uh, Junior Quitierna, who'd never played 90 minutes in a league game for Fleetwood Town before Lee Johnson arrived, who joined in, in January, having had a good couple of seasons at Waterford, but wasn't trusted particularly by Scott Brown. It's, it's as if Lee Johnson's come in, he's gone open mind, clean slate, and he's watched training, and he's just gone, that lad's unbelievable. He's my guy. And he's going to start every game, left wing, and I think he's much better than Scott Brown seems to think. And he's repaid him with a brilliant goal in the last game to secure his first point as manager. And then a great performance here to secure the first win and heavily involved in, in all that was good with Fleetwood going forward. Quitin as a left-footed wide player, came through the, the uh, Charlton Academy when he was a youngster, uh, then had that spell out at Waterford, scored goals, was just dangerous off and off the wing. Um, looks dribbly, quick, likes crossing, likes pressing, a lot of things, a lot of uh, attributes that you look for in a, in a player in his position. So uh, Quitina is, is one name to bring up. I also want to bring up Boson Lawal, who's playing at the back for Fleetwood. Now, I think he's been playing all across the back line. He's on loan from Celtic, so you have to think that really was uh, something that uh, Scott Brown was sort of at the forefront of with his links to Celtic. Uh, Lawal is a, a centre-back, I think, uh, by trade, but he's been playing on either side as well. And he's on the radar because of the NTT20 squad. Uh, last weekend, Harry, who's a Burton fan, said, Lawal caught my eye, nice and composed on the ball, good strength and pacey as well, didn't lose a header all game. This weekend, Nick, an Orient fan, Lawal was excellent at right back for Fleetwood. That's why we love the NTT20 squad. That's why if you want to be getting and sharing, hopefully, this kind of info, you should join it. Uh, and if you should be able to do so if you Google NTT20 squad leveller. On Google, we've had a few new joiners in the last few weeks, and it's really great to to keep growing. Uh, as said at the top of this section, three nil nils in League One, disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Shrews nil, Charlton nil. Uh, Shrewsbury again a better performance than in the previous few weeks, but they're still fully constipated. I'm afraid. Bloody hell. No goals in September for Shrews. Another away point for Michael Appleton. I think still working out exactly how he's going to get the best out of both Miles Lieburn and Alfie May uh, while playing the way that, that he likes to play and, and that's going to be something to, to watch over the next few weeks. Reading nil, Burton nil, uh, another protest from the Reading fans and rightly so against their owner, Dai Yong, uh, throwing tennis balls onto the pitch to pause the game and making sure that attention does not get deflected away from the situation at Reading. Uh, more bad news last week, a tax bill outstanding to HMRC, not paid yet, the club therefore back under transfer embargo which is how they've spent much of the last few years. Uh, and some suggestions that Dai Young is, is leaning towards being open to a sale of the club, but uh, the reported asking price seems high, in my humble opinion. Derby nil, Cambridge nil. Uh, Derby still struggling at home, only one win in five this season. Cambridge 
digging in, I think it's fair to say, and, and getting away with this game uh, from this game rather with a point. I did note that Cambridge have faced the fewest open play shots in League One, despite the fact they average only 40% possession, which is the third lowest in the division. Yeah, what have we- I said, mate? You've got Bennett, you've got Morrison, they'll kick it and head it all day. Yeah, but I find that interesting. Do you think... Do you think it's <clears throat> centre-backs that stop shots being taken? Because I don't think it is. Not I really. think it's team yeah. shape, basically. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say, how good is your shape, Mark Bonner? Very good. And in League Two, George, thanks for stealing my thunder on this one at the top of the show. Um, I was quite keen to introduce this concept of scorigami. <laughs> yeah, good, sorry. Scorigami, uh, tracking NFL games that finish with a score that's never happened before, which... No one will be surprised here. Is right up my street. Igami, Igami. Um, League Two Igami is 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 our version. It's as close as we've got. Uh, there are many fewer potential scorelines in EFL games than NFL games, but we're going to keep track of League Two this season because we've already had a three-three, a two-three, a four-two, two of each of those. A 6-0, a 5-5, a 3-5, a 5-4, a 5-3, a 5-1, a 5-0, a 3-4, a 4-3, and a 4-0. Question. Mm. In, in Scorigami, mm. does the home and away thing matter? In my football Scorigami, it does. Fair enough, because I guess there's just <laughs> fewer scores. Correct. Agami. George, Colchester beat Notts County 5-4. Scorigami? Scorigami. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they did that they did Um, yeah Notts County you know have been obviously very impressive in their return to um, to League 2 and the EFL in general Uh, and you know Colchester did score five goals from uh, about 1.7 xg Um, but you know their games are just ridiculous at the moment where they're so end to end Noah Chilvers scored the first after Notts County were caught playing out from the back poor clearance from the keeper was kind of met by Chilvers who scored from distance um, Sam Austin got the one back for Notts County where you thought they'd probably go on um, and you know make the game their own but Jaden February had had other um, ideas down the right hand side just kept like failing to show, shoot chopping failing to shoot cutting back onto one other foot back onto his right back step onto over, his left step over step over it, I mean it was such a weird goal it was again it was like watching someone just mash all the buttons in FIFA before actually remembering how to shoot and then um, and then and then firing the, the ball across goal Arthur Reed then scored a free kick did you know the um, TV show Arthur mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. One of the most famous memes of all time comes from that. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that Arthur the Aardvark's name is Arthur Reed? No, it's not. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The Reed family. The Aardvark? The Aardvark. Are you sure? Aardvark the Reed. No way. Yes. Which other EFL players share a name with cartoon characters? Anyone? Tweet us at NTT20. All I think of is Chucky. <laughs> There's Fred Aidenstone at Notts County. Okay, yeah, that's right. It's not that's, good, but that's, it's hard. That mate. is the end of that conversation. Off the cuff, this is hard. Uh, yes, it is. Um, Macaulay Langstaff uh, got a couple of goals in the game. Um, Jody Jones scored a really good one, but it wasn't enough because every time Colchester went forward uh, in the second half, which was twice, they scored. Charlie um, Brown! Charlie Brown, <laughs> that is good. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, I'm going to throw anything No, just keep Sorry. going. Sorry, uh, going. Ca- Cameron McGeehan scored and was sent off. Uh, Arthur Reid got a second of the game, uh, very well, with, with kind of 25 minutes to go. And um, they held firm uh, Colchester. So, you know, I don't think Notts County really lost too much in defeat here. Um, they were still pretty good. Colchester um, just were, were clinical on the day. He's got a couple of very, very good goals, capitalised on Notts County's mistakes when they made them. And got a famous high-scoring Scorigami victory Agami. <laughs> Sylvester. Macaulay Langstaff's two goals were his first for Notts County in a losing effort. They were his 48th and 49th goals for the club in his 55th appearance. Thank you to whoever tweeted that and apologies for not noting down your handle. I feel bad. I really like Colchester United this season. Not in a way where I'm like, they're going to do this, this and this. They're going to finish in the top seven type stuff. I just like their team. I like the individuals. I like the way Ben Garner asks them to play football and I like watching their matches. You could say the same about Crawley Town, who beat Sutton 3-0. And they are playing some really good football. Uh, no surprise to those who listen to the pod in your Julys and your Augusts. One of my big concerns about Crawley was whether they had too many technical types and not enough beef in their team. But it has not been a problem, the lack of beef. Uh, just as it wouldn't be if I started to eat a little less beef. I think, if anything, I would be better for it. And Crawley certainly are. Their first goal was hot. Ben Gladwin, Ronan Darcy, bit of passing and moving, getting their heads up, squaring it. Adam Campbell in the pocket and finishing really, really well. Campbell stepping up from the National League very happily indeed, particularly looks very good at that sort of finish. Uh, and then your friend of mine, Danilo Orsi, scored mm. the third goal. Did you see the celebration? Anything you notice about yes. that one? Yes. What was it? His celebration. He did the Orse. Yeah. Running around like an Orse. And he looked quite sheepish doing it, ironically. Sponsored by Brickborrow for all your Lego needs. If you got in touch with Brickborrow, let us know. Uh, we'd love to know. I'm kind of sad they didn't reach out to us off the back of that. Send us some Lego, will you? Mm. Eh? Uh, sat on the bottom of League Two, which is where we thought Crawley would be, and they are absolutely not that. In fact, they're second in the League Two table, which is still insane to I'd say. I'd say out like loud. not far off value for it as well. Like they are, they are just a good side. Cheeky Liam Kelly just running shows. With Sutton, I'm sitting here thinking, in a League Two that famously looks and feels incredibly different this year in terms of style of play Mm. and the teams that are thriving towards the top of the table, Notts, Crawley, Swindon, literally the most technical possession heavy teams in the league. Does, for example, Matt Gray need to rethink the way that Sutton approach games or is that a massive overreaction and it's just a case of doubling down doing the basics better and, uh, and and just sort of staying focused. That's that's a big question for me at the moment. And Stockport win again. Four Ws in a row. Yeah, Stockport won at Accrington 3-1. Uh, a couple of very nice goals, I thought, uh, with um, Oluafe and... Well, Oluafe's got a really nice goal from range into the far corner. Will Collar putting away a one-on-one before Louis Barry scored a uh, penalty. It's weird, Stockport, at the moment, where... Um, they are very good. There's no denying that, but they're they're by no means a constant threat. They're like a, a team who managed to be very efficient in terms of their chance creation, basically only creating decent chances, being clinical and putting them away. Um, with the exception of Louis Barry, who apart from this one just tends to score bangers, really. Um, so they it was again just very clinical. Like basically, every time they went forward, they they scored early on in the game and they kind of put it to bed fairly early on. Um, so. They are, I think, now joint favourites for the title. Wow. With the Betfair Sportsbook with wow. uh, Notts County. So, 
cream is rising to the top, it feels. I would not be I would not enjoy being tasked with pricing up League Two this season. No, I agree. Um which is exciting for us because yes. we're not. No. Almost. No fairness. So Notts County is still three to one favourites with Betfair Sportsbooks Stockport second favourites. And then Wrexham and Mansfield at nine to two. Uh, and they they are the four that we've been saying for a few weeks to be fair that just feel like they are even though Swindon have had a great start to the season, you know, we've seen flashes of Gillingham. Um, it does feel like those are the those are the four class outfits. Even though, George, if for example a very intense and scary global pandemic was to hit now in the next twenty seven hours. That's not, that's it, not, but if it was not but right. if it was, and there is precedence, if it was, and if the leagues were to stop, and if they were, and if they were to be decided by PPG, kind of PTSD, PPG, more yeah. like, league leaders would be Swindon Town, champions would be Swindon Town, which ironically, George, is what happened when it actually happened. I they weren't top of the table, but they did win the league. We're not long enough through it yet. There would be none on void. Dan Kemp scored again. Shock. Uh, Jake Kane scored again, a very, very nice goal, which a bit like the, the Crawley goal I talked about was just excellent football. We're seeing a lot of excellent football being played uh, in League Two. Um, it should be fair, to, uh, it should be worth, it should be said that Murphy Mahoney uh, had to make a very big save at 1-0. Also, Donovan Wilson's goal for Grimsby looked pretty soft from a Swindon point of view. They do what I think... I, I, I meant to say they need to sort themselves out defensively if they really want to have longevity, but mm. maybe they don't. Like, genuinely, maybe they don't. Notts County don't seem to. Wrexham don't seem to. So why should I hold Swindon to such high standards You tell me, mate. Walsall 1-3-1 at Bradford. Brilliant day for Sadler's fans off the back of back-to-back defeats. Uh, they went 1-0 down to a, a Cook penalty, and then Gordon equalised with a, a skidder having cut in from the left. And then it was it was Ross Tierney set pieces really causing problems for, for Bradford. Uh, Mide Ote stabbed in and Freddie Draper as well rose higher than even the Bradford City goalkeeper uh, to head home to make it 3-1. And Mark Hughes' team offered very little in response. And I'm afraid whatever you think about his incredible career in the game and or his previous managerial jobs, famously at a much higher level than League Two, I think Mark Hughes has shown almost nothing as Bradford City manager to suggest that he's a good League Two manager. And this game really underlined it. There's a lot of underlines over the last year for me. They are so underwhelming and out of ideas in possession, particularly when the onus is on them to attack and they're chasing a game. That, for me, suggests a team that's being poorly coached. You do not have to look far in League Two for examples of managers doing so much more with so much less and we've already talked about some of those teams in the last 10 minutes or so. I don't want this to seem like some sort of vendetta because, again, I grew up watching Mark Hughes. He was unbelievable player. I also think, and we spoke about it when he was appointed Bradford City manager, he had some very good spells managerially at the very top of the game. I just personally see nothing that impresses me, and I haven't done for a long time. I don't see enough evidence of the sort of coaching that I think is important, uh, nor do I see a team that is extraordinarily motivated, um, which would be, I guess, the sort of thing that might mitigate against a, a perceived lack of coaching. Whenever they are given the ball by the opposition and told to break a team down, they look completely uncomfortable. And not only that, because that I, I do get annoyed when I see a team that I think is 
massively less than the sum of their parts. Not only that, their kit is a rugby league kit. That is Bradford Bulls. That's a Bradford Bulls kit, not a football kit. And you don't care about that, so let's move on. Forest Green 1, Morecambe 2. Morecambe, quick stat. Yeah. They'd only won five of their last 49 away games. Mm. That's two and a bit seasons. But Forest Green had lost all of their league games so far at home. Something had to give. And it was Morecambe winning. Um, Michael Mellon scoring the first goal looks like a very, very lively one on loan from Burnley. Um, you know, they were blessed to have first look at him last season on loan where he came in and did make a massive impact. But they obviously liked what they saw in, in a League Two level. He is um, filling the Cole Stockton-shaped hole at the top end of the pitch at Morecambe very effectively. Um, you know, he looks like someone who I'm sure League One clubs uh, are already looking at ahead of next season to take him on um, from Burnley. And he scored the first. Jordan Slew uh, got the second just after half time. Like it's pretty frustrating this for Forest Green. You know, they um, they were beaten in Notts County, but they played okay. They lost four three, and it felt like kind of signs were there that they were starting to improve. And what better? game really um could you have than than playing against a side whose recent um yeah whose recent results had been so poor um away from home but that that's now four defeats on the trot and we're not really seeing the style of play that, that David Horseman promised when he came in which is a shame um so it's uh, yeah I mean they've got so many options at the front end of the pitch I've been very surprised to see that Matt Taylor's struggling to make a massive impact in the final third um you know we've seen Troy Deeney come in and do well um but um, you know he wasn't particularly effective here. Matty Stevens hasn't really, you know, given how good he was last time out. Uh, th- this level hasn't really hit the ground uh, running either. So, yeah, I mean, he's got his work cut out, David Horseman, to 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 turn this into a better side. Like right, and, and also normally in League Two, you've got a couple of clubs you're looking at and thinking like they're not in a good good place. So poor teams can get away with it. That just isn't the case this time around, uh, in my mind. They're currently twenty second. Um, I think there's enough in the in the squad that we will see a turnaround in fortunes but this was the first time like I've always all season been like they'll be okay they'll be okay and then you look at this result and performance you think oh um it has to they have to improve soon does seem that they need to do the basics a little bit better Mm. to use a classic footballing expression uh and I think Morecambe certainly did on the day uh Wimbledon beat Tranmere 4-1 Tranmere went ahead early in this game set piece goal and all it did was poke the bear uh, Ali Al Hamadi with a hat trick here. Uh, Al Hamadi, who uh, is formerly of Tranmere, where he spent a part of his youth career before he joined Swansea, um, scoring a hat trick against them and just looking brilliant. And he is this season one of the great sort of XG sowing and then reaping stories, right? Uh, where partly thanks to two missed penalties, but also countless other chances, he'd racked up almost six expected goals before he scored one and he's now got four in his last two games uh, and looks back to the player that we saw at the back end of last season he's just so dynamic so dangerous in so many ways but he's also part of a really good team and attacking system which is so exciting I'm really really enjoying Johnny Jackson's 4-4-2 it's the case that last season we often spoke about how they, they, they seemed to take on a lot of different skins tactically over the course of the season and maybe 
that that didn't necessarily help with consistency in what was a poor season. Now we are seeing consistency in style. We're seeing a a, a group of players that were recru- recruited to play certain roles within that, and and the whole team is thriving. Uh, Jake Reeves and Armani Little in, in the centre of park of the park are so crucial to it. And there was a point where they both were injured for three games, and Wimbledon didn't win in that time. Uh, when they've both been fit, they haven't lost yet. Um, the wide players are performing, stretching the the pitch uh, laterally, and then Al Hamadi and Bugil, really nice. Big man plus medium-sized, very quick man. Um, classic front two partnership. So brilliant performance um, for Wimbledon and a 4-1 win. And then George, uh, Barrow 3, Doncaster 2, or Salford 2, Newport 1, or Harrogate 1, MK Dons 0? Harrogate. Um, <laughs> I've yeah. never heard anyone say that. You also got it the wrong way around. It's MK Dons and Harrogate 1. Um, <laughs> Harrogate. Well, it's just a stupid game of football, wasn't it, really? Um, where MK Dons weren't great. Harrogate only had um, two shots themselves in the game and the goal itself came from a Warren O'Hora own goal where there was a mix-up at the back. Um, basically, the the other defender, um, who was it? Was it Harvey or was it... I think it was, it was, it was No, I think Harvey leaves it first. Uh. And then O'Hora and, um, and McGill- McGillivray kind of both don't know what to do and then eventually as the pressing attacker who I think was possibly daily or following I can't remember um, and the keeper just smacked it against O'Hora and and not only does because he, he kind of kicked against O'Hora's standing leg and they're just outside the area and the ball flies towards goal but it's also the spin where you can see that it's, it's clearly going wide and it just the ball just spins into the corner um, to put Harrogate 1-0 up like this was as I mean, they've done it already a couple of times a season with Harrogate where they, they seem to be able to win games where they just aren't really in the game at all. Um, you know, they, they defended okay. Like, there's no doubt that, but they didn't really offer anything going forward. Um, but they've come away with, with three points. Uh, and right now, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, in my mind, in terms of balance of play, Harrogate have been one of, if not the worst team in League, League 2 this season. But that's not reflecting their points, sadly, because they are finding ways to win. Uh, and right now, that's what's going to keep them safe. So before the weekend, Barrow had played not... Uh, eight games and six of them had been away from home I don't know quite how that works the quirks of the fixture computer are a little beyond me uh, but it did mean that after eight games you could you could definitively say that whatever position they were in was a, a false one because of the imbalance between away games and home games now they would picked up eight points from their away games which is an impressive return they're back on home soil uh, down on the peninsula and they beat Doncaster 3-2. Now, I was pretty surprised, not at the fact that Barrow won against Donny, but that the the two teams with the lowest open play XG this season uh, put on a a five-goal thriller. Uh, It it wasn't a particularly uh, open game. I don't think there was even that much goal-mouth action, but we did see some very good uh, bits of of attacking play, not least uh, the assist from Elliot Newby for uh, Warren's header at the back post that put Barrow ahead a powerful free kick from Jed Garner which put them 2-0 up and then after Ironside had pulled a goal back for Donny with a header uh, Aqua with a really cool 1v1 finish um, from Aqua ice in his veins frozen water Aqua there's some sort of gag in there we'll work it out for next week uh, and then Salford with a massive 2-1 win over, over Newport County a win that they really needed um, they've got big injuries at the moment, Salford, although Elliot Watt is back now. And you can see it if you look at their bench the last few games. It's just entirely like 
18 to 21 year olds with almost no EFL experience. One of them, Kelly Namai, started this game and set up the match winning own goal with a really good piece of wing play. So big, big result for Neil Wood. They did not see that game out with any comfort whatsoever, but it is a big step forward for them. Uh, and for Newport, uh, we talked about it last week. They had the vote, uh, the supporters trust, and they resoundingly approved Hugh Jenkins, former Swansea City chairman, as the preferred bidder of the club. So subject to EFL approval, Hugh Jenkins will buy a 52% majority stake and the club will no longer be owned uh, majority by its fans. Elsewhere, Wrexham drew 3-3 in a ding-dong affair with crew Alex, uh, as described by my wife at that wedding on Saturday. Uh, Ryan Barnett with a red card in the first half and then just loads of goals, including Paul Mullin at the double, uh, and Stephen Fletcher equalising uh, his first ever goal below championship level in what is almost a 20-year career now. Uh, crew with the lead three times, throwing away the lead three times, but still picking up a point away at Wrexham, which not many teams will do this season. And Jills and Mansfield drew 1-1 uh, with a absolutely bizarre incident involving the referee uh, for Mansfield's equaliser, in which... A Mansfield attack was stopped by a Gillingham defender. The referee blew for a free kick about 35 yards out, pulled out his yellow card, trotted towards the player to book the player. While he was doing that, Mansfield, I think Maris, took a quick free kick and played it through to Kilo Dunn, who scored. And the Jills players were all a bit like, you're in the, Are you gonna- you're in the process of booking us there, mate. And you've, you're still holding your card as you're running after the play. Well, you haven't given it to me yet. Uh, that was quite peculiar. But uh, an open game, one or draw. Neil Harris seemingly buying into the ethos of, uh, of League Two this season after a pretty low margin start. Thanks very much for listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. God, it's been a, a joy and a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, we've been George and Ali. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by Betfan. We'll be back again on Thursday with a betting show. Thanks and go well. <laughs>